Hello, and welcome back to the first in another three in our series on the films of Stephen King, or as we call this batch, The Resurrection of King at Easter. Today, we're going to talk about the first original work Stephen King wrote for the screen, which is Creepshow, back in 1982. Creepshow came from a friendship between Stephen King and George Romero. They both had a love of EC Comics from the 1950s and wanted to make a film that celebrated that. The result was a script from Stephen King, which has five short stories. Three are original, and two were based on two of his short stories. Although, interestingly, neither of those short stories has ever been published in any Stephen King collection. More on that as we go. It may be original, but is it any good? To discuss this landmark film, we have a panel. The team of Jeff, Graham and Neil are delighted to be joined once again by Andy. How are things with you, Andy? I am great, sir. I'm interested to hear everyone's views on this film and to know whether or not these other gentlemen actually survived watching a horror film, because I know that they're rather squeamish <laughs> when it comes to anything R-rated and gore, so I'm wondering well, if they had to, like, huddle with their blankets or what exactly happened. Yeah, generally. Well, I, yeah. Neil was on tranquilizers for a few days after it, but we'll find out more on that as it goes. So, before we go into detail, Andy, are you a fan of this film? Yeah, in fact, when you asked me to do this originally, I jumped at the chance because it's always been one of my favorites. I've watched it probably 20 times, maybe over the years. I've owned it on VHS and Laserdisc and DVD and Blu-ray and about as many formats as you can get. If they released it on the loaf of bread, I probably would buy that as well. I've always been a huge fan. Just So what is it sort of overall that appeals to you? It is certainly one of those movies that um, has all sorts of different elements to it, obviously with the five different stories and then the wraparound story. Um, it definitely walks the line, I think, between like having a lot of comedy in it and also some gory elements. We talked about during our horror episode, different genres within horror, meaning some are, have more comedy in them or some of them are definitely more serious. And I just think it has something for everyone. Plus it then it just has of the time, all the cool practical effects and just all the different lighting choices that they make. And it, there's just so much good stuff about it. Now, I'm not going to throw that question at uh, you, Graham, or you, Neil, because I want to savor the torture I put you through making you watch this <laughs> bit by bit as we go through the film. So we'll find out what you thought of the film shortly. Sick <laughs> uh, and I've been called worse. So <laughs> let's go back to the very beginning then. Now, it was Warner Brothers who introduced Stephen King and George Romero to one another after Romero had made the excellent vampire film, Martin, which if you haven't seen, I would strongly recommend. I assume you've seen that one, Andy, have you? Um, a long time ago, but yes. They were thinking at that time of doing Salem's Lot as a film, so they put the two guys together. Now, we cover a bit of that in our episode 111. It didn't work out, nor did other possible collaborations over the years, including The Stand and Pet Cemetery. Now, of these three projects, which one would you have liked George Romero to have made in collaboration with Stephen King? Andy, I'll ask you first because you'll know the other properties. Well, I guess I would say I think the one that would have been the most interesting would have been Pet Cemetery. Now, over the years since we've seen the remake of it, we can definitely see different take on the classic story. I thought that the new one was a little bit different than the original and different than the source material. But I think George Romero would have definitely put an interesting and unique spin on that story in itself, just making it his own or changing it in a different way to make it unique. I think it would have been pretty cool. What about you guys? Romero's direction style, because I was really paying attention to this one, I, I thought 
this is really well done and this is really well set up. Even though it's a sort of corny film, the whole thing I thought was corny and silly and, uh, and great fun, but I thought it, he really did nail the direction quite well. And I was just blown away. You know, he, the first few start up very comic-y and then you get to a more serious one and then you end on something that was really quite uncomfortable. And I thought they built the tension beautifully and I thought, yeah, this is a an excellent director. I'm just sad he didn't get to do more stuff with King, actually. I'm sad he never got to do more stuff in the mainstream, to be quite honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You look at his start, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. The only mainstream film I can think of that he did was Monkey Shines. And even that, they messed about with him on that. Neil, what about you? I've only seen Salem's Lot of that list. But yeah, I did like it, the way he, he managed very different stories, so all phobias. And how they how they played out, and each one is is very different, anyway, isn't it? Just shows his class, really. So, one more thing on background before we start talking about Creepshow itself. Now, Creepshow is based on a shared love of EC Comics from the nineteen fifties. Prior to that, you had the comics themselves in the fifties that were banned for a long time, and then you had the British, oddly, who picked it up with Amicus with Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, first X-Film I ever saw, Vault of Horror, just throw that in. And they took a much more straightforward approach to the telling of their stories, although they did use a lot of humour. Creepshow filmed it as a comic. There were panels, primary colours, moments of shock, page turns, adverts. Did that approach work for you? Graham, I'll start with you. Usually don't like this, but I thought they nailed it. They really nailed it because they didn't overuse it. It was very, very little was done. They, you know, they, they had the sort of the splash page and then they had the, like the final frame was a comic like thing during the introduction. They had a few things, but I, I thought they really nailed it. I mean, I've seen some other complete disasters where they tried to be a comic like, um, Tank Girl. Which oh, was yeah. just shockingly bad. Shockingly or bad. the Angley Hel- Ang Hulk's film has a lot of comics. It's kind of comic yeah. stuff in yeah. it. Yes, I forgot yeah. about that. It can be very badly done, and I think this is the gold standard. I was really quite impressed. In fact, I went back and watched some of the comic segments again. I like the way people fell into the frame, or their head was just in the frame of the comic. I thought that was so well done. I would second that. And I just liked all the little subtle stuff that you, you may not see the first time around. And I'm glad to hear that you went back and watched some of it. Like the, even just like the page turn, like you said, like it would say, meanwhile, sometime later, or just that kind of stuff, you know, those were the things that I thought were interesting. Cause if, for anyone who's ever read comics, you would be very familiar with the structure of a way a comic is kind of set up. And I thought that they did a, magnificent job of catching that feel of the comic and really keeping it that that same theme going throughout all the stories even though the stories were all very different from each other and i also like they stayed in periods so that was 1950s styles 1950s primary colors even though this was done in the 80s they tended to just say let's try and recreate the style we wanted so that was just great they also recreated some of the stories and some of the film uh, genres of the time as well which i thought was quite good neil what are your thoughts yeah yeah, i loved it um it just kept the whole thing going otherwise otherwise it would have just been five stories which would have been a bit sort of odd to yeah linking them with the comic and the, the pages turning over and even at the end where the binmen pick it up um i thought it was excellent i haven't seen it for a number of years so i went back to it i remember when i first saw it 
had trouble seeing us in the cinema. I had to watch it on video. Just amazed it didn't open in British cinemas widely. But yeah, when I did see it, I thought two of the stories are brilliant. Three were filler. Going back now, I've revised my opinion. And I think three are excellent and two are okay. Now, Andy, you've watched this many times. Has your opinion changed on this film over the years? The film got better as it went along, meaning that the first and second stories were not nearly as good as the fourth and fifth stories, because I thought it definitely kept climbing in intensity and just entertaining cinema as it just kept going along. I would say it didn't change, but it kind of confirmed my opinion that I had had quite a long time ago. Um, When you first saw it, did you see it in the cinema? Um, No, actually I didn't, because I would have been 11 when it first came out, so no. Oh, okay. I had discovered it on video years later. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, moving on. Sorry. (laughs) I I, I forgot we're with another youngster. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Let me tell you, Sonny. Yeah, right. Back in my day. Before we move on, anybody listening to this who hasn't seen Creepshow, we are now going into spoiler territory. Spoiler alert. God, that's gonna, that is really going to piss me off. You know that. Um, I can just imagine Jeff just going, no! <laughs> so, anybody listening to our shows in future, there will be spoilers and I'm never going to announce them. Don't blame me, blame Graham. Yeah. <laughs> right, before we talk about each story, uh, what do you think of the wraparound which stars Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King's son, Tom Atkins, and... Uh, Oh, another Tom, Tom Savini. Jeff, let's start with you. Is your Mr. Grumpy tonight? <laughs> no, it's fine to be started hitting that button. The wraparound story is serviceable. It's not, and again, if you go back to the British ones, Tales, particularly Tales from the Crypt, has a tremendous wraparound story as to how each of the stories are introduced. And it has a big payoff at the end. This is sort of okay. It's great to see young Joe Hill. Always great to see uh, makeup maestro Tom Savini in anything. And I thought the the banter of the two dustbin men was quite funny. Really? I thought it was real fun. I thought it was great. I thought it was excellent, especially the bit where he slaps the kid. And that really shocked me because I'd never seen this before. And I thought, what the bloody hell am I watching? (laughs) And he leaves the red, red mark on his face as well. I thought, geez, where is this going? And then, uh, yeah. That's the, why your the, kids get away with murder, because you never yeah. did that to them when they were younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I'm glad I didn't take your advice on anything. Just for information, Jeff, that's called abuse now. <laughs> right. Stan, don't you think you work? Well, a little hard on him. You see that crap? All that horror crap? Things coming out of crates and eating people? Dead people coming back to life? People turning into weeds, for Christ's sake. Well, yes, I did, but I... Well, you want him reading that stuff? Well, no, but... All right, then. I took care of it. That's why God made fathers, babe. And the payoff at the end, I thought that was excellent. I thought that worked very well. I liked that bit. Great fun. Andy, what did you think? I'm in the minority. I kind of thought, and maybe it's because I've seen it so many times, I, I kind of always get the feeling that it was underdeveloped. I mean, the movie itself is not two and a half hours long if they would have maybe added another couple minutes into each segment maybe it would have been more of a complete story to me i kind of felt like there was not enough detail to it and it was just like i said underdeveloped and maybe kind of anticlimactic a little bit 
in a sense, it touches on a, something from Salem's lot, you know, the, the relationship of the young boy to his parents. They don't understand his love of horror and they sort of treat it as a fad that he's going through. Whereas in this, you've got another reaction. No, you don't want to be that. We want you to be the high school jock. We don't want you doing this sort of stuff. It's another way of looking at uh, something he developed in Salem's Lot, I would say. Okay, let's move on. So story one, Father's Day, uh, that's an original tale from Stephen King, um, very much in keeping with the tone of the original comics. Oh, back to you, Jeff. What are your thoughts on that? So the EC comics are usually sort of morality tales, but with a icky twist. Somebody's done something to wrong somebody, and then they get their revenge in, in this horrible, horrible way. So in Father's Day, you've got the guy coming back from the dead who'd been killed by his daughter, and he gets revenge on them because he wants his Father's Day cake. It's an interesting one because in an original EC way, it would have been the father who would have had the re revenge re uh, wreaked upon him because he killed you know, the, the beau of um, his daughter. Mm. So it would have been him coming back to have killed the father. That's how that one would have panned out. That moral part of the tale has been lifted out. So you've got this coming back from the dead and getting this revenge, and the whole family is morally corrupt. Visually, it's interesting to watch, but I don't think it has the substance of some of the other stories we're going to talk about. Now, it's a sort of light entree, isn't it? A bit of scare, well, quite a bit of scare, actually, uh, but not much substance there, just something to get you started, really, with. Hmm. That's how I felt. When, when I was saying earlier on about the pacing, this is where I think Romero really does his homework and gets it right. So here's a couple of really interesting jump scares, and then I'm going to take you down a, another path for the next one. I'm going to cheer you up a bit, and then we get into the serious stuff later on. So I, th I thought this, when I looked back at it, I thought, ah, that's a good place to start. Andy, any thoughts on Father's Day? The first thing I said is I felt like the movie got better as it went along. So I definitely would say it was probably my least favorite of the stories, um, only because I kind of felt like, kind of like what I said about the wraparound story, I felt like it went so fast that a lot of it was kind of underdeveloped, that there was maybe more detail on the page that didn't translate to the screen. Maybe. I don't know. It was funny to see Ed Harris with hair, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that like what you guys said, but this definitely, if you're familiar with Romero's more famous work, it definitely felt the most Romero-y of the stories only because he's kind of the best well-known for his Living Dead movies. So it definitely felt like keeping in that tradition for sure. Actually, yeah. I had made that connection. That's really good. No, I hadn't yeah, thought I'd of it in, it. Yeah, in terms of a zombie movie. But you're quite right. It does fit in with Romero. That's, That's the one I thought was Romero. It was. I didn't. I, it wasn't my favourite. This one, uh, but it's. Uh, it once it gets into the um, graveyard, it sort of starts really. But yeah, it's a bit uh, bit weak. I think. Certainly heavy on the gore factor, though. Yes. I mean, it's, yes, it's, it is. I suppose if in that respect, it was um, again like the prologue, a bit of a. A slap in the face to sort of uh, come on you this is a scary story here and a nice reference with um the housekeeper being called mrs danvers mm. <laughs> yeah the other thing i thought which was really good is 
when the head ornament on top of the grave was moving, you actually got the feeling of that's really heavy. Yeah. That's got some heft to it and some weight. If that falls on that guy, it's, that's definitely going to kill him. It was a lovely piece of direction. My wife kept saying, Why? he had 20 minutes to move before the thing fell on him. Why didn't he just move? <laughs> That's my reaction, I must admit, yeah. yeah. Come on, move. Just, right. just roll. Because it, it wiggled like six <laughs> times before it fell on him. I mean, it, it, after yeah. the first wiggle, I would have moved. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, I'm going to fall on you. I'm going to fall on you. Roll away then, right. you moron. But it was interesting to see two actors at either end of their careers in this one. Viveka Linfors, uh, I accused and uh, King of Kings, and Ed Harris, although Harris had already starred for Romero in in Knight Riders. What do you think of both of them in this piece, though? Did they work for you? And I'll go to Andy. I definitely like the scene where um, Ed Harris and his wife are like dancing the little 80s disco music there. I thought that was kind of funny. Otherwise, I guess I'd go back to what I said before. I still felt like there wasn't enough meat there to chew on. Like the story was kind of here and then done in 15 minutes and there wasn't a whole lot of meat to chew on as far as character development. So they did what they could with what they had, but it still felt like kind of underdeveloped or just went by too fast. What I like about it is to this day, Ed Harris speaks warmly of his working relationship with George Romero and the fact he loved working in this film. In some of the DVD releases, there's a number of makings of and Ed Harris is on on them talking about, you know, his warmth he has for this film. So I quite like that because he can be a bit of a grumpy character and he lets you know if he doesn't like something. So I'm pleased he did enjoy that. They do the best what they can with such thin material. I still think this is just an introduction because there's a lot of the style of the comic in, in this one and the final shock at the end. When the door swings open and it freeze frames, I thought, yeah, that's that's a perfect comic book ending. It very much is EC without the heart of it. So in, in the style, I'd never made that connection on the zombie uh, character before, but, but that also is spot on. So you've got, this is the warm-up. We're going to go into the EC world, but we're going to be slightly different. And we've got George Romero, so you've got to have a zombie. <laughs> and my my wife is also very observant and pointed out after she watched this that did you know that the the marble ashtray that they use in the movie yes, that yes. scene is in every single story including the wraparound story that marble ashtray appears in every single segment is it yes good grief because it. Uh, it was on the bedside table in the one with the people from the sea yeah yep mm. So yeah, yeah that, if you if you look closely, it's usually on the table of every single scene, including the the wraparound story for sure. That is really clever. Yeah, and that's really good. Yeah, yeah. congratulations for us. Yeah, whereas my wife watched it and said, "Well, that was nasty." <laughs> well, she was right. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Neil, any thoughts on Ed Harris? And I, I thought Ed Harris is the best thing in it, um, in the first one. Um, I, I thought the rest of them were kind of overacting, which it, uh, um, Andy said they didn't have a lot to work with. Maybe it was that, and they were trying to stretch it out. It, it was interesting to see Ed Harris maybe in something that he gets to be a little goofier in. Yeah, yeah. the dancing. I thought, what the hell? This right. is Ed Harris. <laughs> what the hell is he doing? Yeah, he's he's not known for his comedy work. Uh, exactly. So. 
I think it was the mashed potato he was doing, but never mind. Well, thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> okay. And, of course, as we said, Ed Harris, um, one of his first big roles was the lead in Night Riders, uh, a modern-day reenactment of jousting on motorbikes, which is a, a fun film. And also in that film, apart from Ed Harris, Stephen King had a small part. Whoa. He had a much bigger part in the next story we're going to talk about, The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill. What a transition so, there. It certainly is. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Andy, what did you think of Stephen King's performance? Well, having nothing to base it on other than my knowledge of Stephen King over the years, I actually thought he did pretty well. I mean, considering uh, that he's the only character in the whole thing, he has to carry it, you know, other than the the flashbacks of like him visiting the doctor's office and stuff. But I mean, he's basically the only character other than the the green stuff, the green weeds or whatever that kind of come out of the meteor. But I actually thought he did pretty well. He held his own well, and I thought he was able to play the lunkhead, as he calls himself um, in the story several times. Um, very well, I thought. Yeah, I liked it. I actually enjoyed this one. thought this was quite funny. As the green grows over him and he goes to the, goes to the toilet and he looks down and he goes, oh, not there as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was, there was some really good stuff in this one. I mean, even his quote was it. Oh, <laughs> meteor shit. <laughs> well, and then by the end, you know, you actually kind of feel sorry for him. Yes. 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 Uh, you, you do emphasize, definitely. I mean, he's, he, he, he obviously is an idiot. That he, when he broke it, um, yeah, you sort of, um, oh, you're not going to get anything for that. They're just going to laugh at you. Yeah, obviously just never went anywhere. Love the bit at the end with the weather forecast. Yeah. Where he <laughs> says, no, don't put it in the bath because, you know, that's what it needs to grow. And then the weather forecast is going to rain a lot and we're going to get lots of green everywhere. You don't know the half of it. This one, I think, <laughs> m- amongst the other qualities of besides King's acting were just all the shots of the of the farm, I thought, were just as much a character as the yeah. acting, you know, where they yeah. show, like, the wide shots of how things get gradually worse. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was just brilliant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I thought this was cool. and, I, and again, I go back, you know, the first one was a, just an, a fun introduction with a bit of a shock. Then you get a bit of comic relief in this one. And I thought the comic relief worked really well. I was yeah. well impressed. And when he got the shotgun... <laughs> blew his brains out and there was nothing there i enjoyed it thought yeah well we knew that before <laughs> yeah just a bunch of dirt comes out basically yeah. yeah yeah well i think king's acting in this and getting through this entire segment as you say almost on his own is a testament to george romero yeah because yes. he would have yeah. had to strongly direct him through a lot of this yeah uh, which is what i'm sure he did and and that's where it comes out the one thing that strikes me again ec comics we go back to the 50s and this is a 50 science fiction alien invasion movie. This yeah, is yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but with plants. Oh, yeah. Or it right. definitely felt like the blob or one of those kind of bobies. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting yeah. for the uh, plants to start walking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the Triffid style. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Jeff. I think it is very, very 1950s sci fi. Great fun. Yeah, yeah. And again, it used its comic. Uh, approach quite well you know when he has the thing going to the doctor he said oh, you have to take those fingers off 
But what comes up on the screen in the comic white is a skull and crossbones. And you go through that into the frame. And I thought that that was, again, really good, really good decision making on the directing. I've not read the original short story Weeds. I don't know if anybody has. No, it's not widely available. But I, I do think that, you know, the confidence in, in using that, King's not an actor, and he'd be the first to admit that. But I thought it worked well in there. There was a lot of humor. I thought the punchline was sick in in a in a good way. Sick, you know. It, you you add all this humor with Geordie following him through, and even a bit of the supernatural when his father appears. But the ultimate payoff is he blows his head off. And the lonesome death he died. Well, I was just I was just going to say they they tell you in the title what's going to happen, yet you still enjoy it while you're watching it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's go on and talk about the real meat of the film now. Then, so we've had the two fellas to, to take us in, and they're both quite quick tales as well. So the first one of these is something to tide you over. It's an original tale, but it has a resemblance to the ledge, which you can find in the night shift short stories, and also we'll be talking about that sometime in the future when we get the cat size. So something to tide you over, Andy. What do you think of this one? Well, you know, I thought earlier about the, my reference to the the zombies in the first one. I guess this one kind of has that as well when the, the two show up at the end when they're all covered in the plankton. And they're, they're kind of zombie-y at that time, too, where they're kind of talking in their gurgly voices as they're coming after Leslie Nielsen. I think the funniest thing about the whole thing is... You know, not a lot of people know that Leslie Nielsen was a dramatic actor earlier in his career, and he's obviously well known for his airplane and Naked Gun and all that stuff. I mean, he had quite a career earlier in his life of playing serious roles, and just to see his character in this one, I think is just quite delightful in seeing that he plays such a different character than everyone's used to seeing him. To me, on that, it's very much like the roles he used to take in those movies of the week in the 70s, things like Macmillan and Wife, or particularly Columbo. You know, you'd have Columbo on this case. He'd kill them off. There's no supernatural element. Columbo would have said, uh, just one more thing before we go. Can I have a look at that videotape, please? And, <laughs> right. You know, he'd have caught him there without any of that. But yeah, so it, it's very much in that. Although Nielsen does play it with a bit of humor, I think as opposed to in those things of the 70s, he would have played it much straighter. You know, Airplane came out right before that, right? Because I think that came out in 80, so that would have been right before this. So maybe he still had that uh, instinct in him, I guess, or, or just was told to do it that way by Romero. Who knows? But it was a good way to do it. Yes, definitely. Uh, Neil, what do you think of this one? Um, I mean, of all the phobias that are covered, um, I think drowning is the one that scares me the most. And, um, yeah, I found this really creepy. I'm going to get you. You hear me, Richard? You hear me, Richard? I'm going to get you! i to hold your breath there, Harry. got to hold your breath claustrophobia too just Ooh, by yes. being buried up to your yes. head yes absolutely i mean it, yeah absolutely it's the one that i felt was over long because i was wanting it to finish <laughs> <laughs> might have been short i don't know it took three weeks to get through this one um i don't know i just something about leslie neils uh, uh, um ted danson about i don't know uh i thought they were they did work well together of course and they're the the two work 
best known, I suppose, of the actors. Well, they weren't. Um, I mean, Danson, this was before Cheers. Oh, uh, of course. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I'm watching it in, in 2021. I thought it, it worked well. I mean, I, I just couldn't wait for it to finish. <laughs> Get it over with. Come on. Uh, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I really liked this one no idea what was going to happen i thought how are they going to get out of this and then when they turn up as the seaweed zombies <laughs> yeah i just thought that was hysterical i was crying with laughter especially as he couldn't see them on the uh on the closed circuit television and all those little mm. things that happened i thought this is just great fun and just again another freeze frame at the end and i thought yeah okay fine do you feel so, like the 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 technology of the time makes it feel more dated. Like you get to see him with the, the VCR and not only the VCR, but the VCR that like loads on the top versus going in the front. Those were like yeah. the first generation yeah. VCRs. I thought that was, I thought that was really imaginative for the time. You know, you're thinking yeah. this is the early eighties. It just stayed in its period and it stayed within the, the framework of the, the comic, you know, how did they get out of this? Well, they didn't, they just became, seaweed zombies or whatever it yeah. was they became and they were able to invade his house this is much more like the ec comics so you've got somebody who's been wrong these two characters have been wrong yeah. and they come back from the dead you know you have characters you can latch on to and you have a real villain and there's a moral payback on it that is in a nutshell ec comics and it was also very clever the, the they've tended to stay on the Ted Danson character and you didn't see his girlfriend. No. Um, yeah, you didn't uh, see her much at all. At all, but yet. That made it even more frantic, way. didn't it? Yes, that he didn't did. know where she was, nor do we. Yeah, and I thought that was really well done. And you're only seeing her through the TV screen. It's a very tightly directed, very good short film. You know, if somebody was to produce something like that today as a short film, it would people would rave about it one of the things that it does well as it does in all of the various segments that it's used but at the end when they're kind of slowly walking towards him and he's shooting them and you can mm. see that the bullets are hitting and the blood's kind of spurting on their face but they're still walking the part that i like the most and what creep show does well is when you know something's building and then it's building and then it's building and then all of a sudden they go to the weird close-up shot of him screaming with like the weird color effects in the background and that's when you know that something really bad's going to happen like it's cueing you that if you thought this was bad now wait until you see the close-up of him kind of laugh screaming at the same time that's when you know that the stuff's going to hit the fan you know yeah silly completely pointless you know sort of ending but it all just fitted together i don't think so it it, it's it well we'll talk about what the original ending was in a minute but but i thought that ending paid back quite well you know they did to him what he'd done to them but there's a lovely story about on the set is that ted danson's young daughter was around there and he was frightened that she would see him in the tom savini makeup so he kept hidden to one side and there was a moment when he walked the set and he walked past his daughter and, and she said, oh, hi, Dad, and walked on. By <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way, the, as uh, more trivia, the girl, Galen Ross, is also one of the lead characters in Dawn of the Dead. Oh, so her yeah. coming back as a zombie, uh, she escaped that fate in that film, but she did. That's funny. It. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it? it's, so, but what, one of the other things I liked about it is as it got more tense, the comic book aspects, the, the frame-ins, 
the little words on the screen, all that fell away. And Romero just concentrated on a fairly dramatic story without any frills. And I thought the lead into that was really good. And I thought the punchline of that was excellent. What did you think of the direction of this, Andy? The things that he did with like the use of the, the TV footage, you know, where like you can see the the girlfriend, for example, when Ted Danson first sees the girlfriend's head, so then he realizes it's probably a worse situation than he thought because he is not only not only in his predicament, but then he sees his girlfriend in the same predicament as him. And the direction of that and kind of what you guys had already said about playing on different fears, not only of claustrophobia and of of water or even just the part where Leslie Nielsen returns and Ted Danson is being tormented by the crab that's right by his head there. I thought that was really funny. I liked almost everything about it. I thought it was very well done. Good quality actors. You've got a good little story. I mean, other than the horror ending, and we'll talk about the original ending in a moment, had they played the original ending, it would have not been out of place on the Twilight Zone or probably Alfred Hitchcock Presents even before that. I think it it has that type of quality to it. Does anybody know the original ending? No, no. Mm-mm. So, so what I happened? Started to think. Well, <laughs> no, you like this, Neil? Honestly, how oh, good? So, I thought I thought you were going to say Bruce Willis was dead the whole time and he just didn't know it. But <laughs> you see, you wouldn't have known about that in Sixth Sense as long as long as you didn't get the CD in advance, where the right. last track is. Uh, he was dead the whole time. Uh, great, thank you very much, Mister Newton Howard. <laughs> No, so the original ending on this, so that so again they come back as zombies, they're coming towards him, and he barricades himself in the house and he's panicking and he phones to the police and they're coming towards him and then the police arrive and they sort of disappear and he says, Oh, oh I've been attacked by these two people and look, let me show you, they're on tape. And he puts on the tape with of him drowning them. Uh-huh. And they arrest him and he gets tried for their murder, convicted, and the last shot is him in the gas chamber and he says, Well, I could hold my breath for a very long time as the gas is being uh-huh. released. Uh-huh. That's not too bad. I mean, that's that would be as equally payoffy, I guess. And that would have made it more an Alfred Hitchcock thing, but is this yeah. is very much a, a George Romero? Thing. Yeah, definitely. right. Because they have the slow walk of death at the end instead, yes. right? I think we're all in agreement, other than Neil and his phobias. Um, <laughs> that, that this one, just one, really well. just one, just one. Okay, so now we come to the longest story at forty-five minutes: the crate, starring Adrian Barbu, Fritz Weaver, and Hal Holbrook. Not what you'd call a standard horror movie cast. Also based on a short story and another one that's not uh, been widely circulated. So what did you think of this one? Graham, I'll start with you. Oh, this was this was the main course, wasn't it, really? I really enjoyed this. Great setup. I could see, see the twist coming a mile away, but I, I just went along for the ride. I thought it was very well acted. The tension built and built. It was a longer story. You got more character development. You got to see more more things around the, the sort of monster. And I just thought, yeah, this builds a little mythology as well. Very well done. And again, brilliantly, brilliantly directed. Neil? Yeah, you can see the professor's mind working, can't you? As soon as he finds that there's this thing he'll kill people or grab people and, uh, and eat them. Yeah, the way he can get rid of his wife. It's all telegraphed up front and you're just waiting for the payoff really aren't you this horrible woman and the fact that it is still uh, coming out at the end was very nice that they're still in trouble i thought this was really good i thought there were bits were funny but uh yeah i thought this is uh, probably the best one i think andy 
Yeah, I would agree. I think the character development, especially just the fact that um, he's having the daydreams of just wanting to off his horrible alcoholic wife. And then fate just presents him with the situation that he's probably been longing for for years, you know, just the perfect opportunity to help his friend out as well as take care of his nagging wife at the same time. Just brilliant. The character development was great. Um, I'm glad that they spent the most time on this story in particular. Certainly was the most gruesome and gory of the bunch. Definitely had the most blood of all of the sequences in the film. The last time I had just watched it, I kind of thought to myself, the setup of it, at least the, the basic idea is similar to the film The Thing in some ways, and that they like go and find something that's been buried or hidden for a long time and then kind of bring it back out and then bad things happen. But that's just that was just my thought. No, I just want to pick up on that with you because, of course, the crate says uh, from an Antarctica expedition. Right, exactly. In by Julia Carpenter. Right. Oh. So that, that was the one thing that I kind of thought, and I don't know why I had never thought about it before, but yeah, basically, you know, it was basically kind of another thing that someone brought back from somewhere similar to the thing, and then they release it and then look at what happened. And it comes out in the same year as Carpenter's remake of it. And of course, Adrian Barbu was married to Carpenter at the time. So there's just. Yeah, all, all sorts of tie-ins. Yeah. Rather than have a special effects creature, you've got something that's like a 50s monster movie, a guy in a suit. The best thing about it is you really never got a good look at it. You know, that was the great part about it. I mean, there's a couple shots of maybe a couple seconds, but that's about it. And I like the fact that the uh, professor, even though he's, he is mild and meek and his wife is having haranguing him for that fact, that he's the one who goes into the uh, the box, you know, cleans up all the mess while the the animal is still around. He does actually get braver when he knows that he can do something about her. Uh, Graham, what did Graham, you think of the performances? Yeah. Well, I I thought it was great. Again, it was short, sharp to the point. You got all the references. I loved the little piece where he daydreams about killing his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. While she's berating. You don't, you don't know. You don't know. And you just see him suddenly pull this gun out and you think, hang on, this is taking a dark <laughs> turn. <laughs> yeah. Definitely takes a right turn almost immediately. And, and, yes. where, the, and where all the other guests are applauding him. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> Great. And you got everybody's motivation very quickly, very sharp, three-dimensional characters. Here's the young student. Here's the old professor. Here's the other professor. And, you know, and he's quite willing to put some work in, clean the place up so that he can get rid of his wife. And then when it doesn't immediately happen, he sort of snaps and starts bashing her head off the box. Great For you guys who don't like horror movies, was this one the hardest and, and most squeamish because of the blood and the him biting no. chunks out of people and no. all that, or no? No, not really. No, the, as I said, no. I think the uh, something to tide you over is the is the worst one. This creep one, I, it was almost funny. No, I, I really did like this one. I didn't think it was that scary. It obviously there's a couple of jump scares in there, but yeah, I thought the tale was <laughs> quite moral. You know. It, He'd been pushed to this point where he wanted to kill this wife and everybody could see that she was a terrible human being. And he was finally had the opportunity and he was pushed over the edge, but even that he didn't get away cleanly. You know, it's, well, and you're kind of rooting for him to succeed, right? You're rooting <laughs> yes. for him to not only succeed, yeah. but then get away with it. Yeah. yeah. And he was really trying to help his friend out, but, but we know he's go. not going to. Yeah. I drove out there with the remains of three human beings. Well, 
two human beings in Wilma. I began to wonder, where did they go? I mean, how much could it eat? I think maybe at the very end, it began to suspect what was happening. And the good thing with this, I mean, Adrian Barbu's, by all accounts, a lovely person in real life. And she said it was just great fun playing this character that, as far as she's concerned, is totally opposite to her. And uh, there's some outtakes of this film that I've seen that they could never use because of uh, the overuse she did of the C word. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so some of her quotes are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, my favorite line of the piece, I think, is when he, the creature is eating her finally, and then he, Hal Holbrook says something like, tell it to call you Billy or something. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Everybody calls me Billy. Right. I thought that was hilarious. That was brilliant. Get out of my way, Henry. I swear to God, we'll be wearing your bulls for earrings. <laughs> I love that. That's a great line. One of the biggest surprises for me is when I was watching the end credits, Paula Hirsch's name came up as the editor just for the crate. Now, as it happens, I'm reading Paul Hirsch's book at the moment a long time ago in a cutting room far, far away. I was amazed just to see him on this. And, and by this time in his career, he'd won an Oscar for Star Wars. He'd done The Empire Strikes Back. He'd done all of the Palmer's films up to and including home movies. He did it because at that point he wanted to stay in New York because he had a young family and this was offered to him and there wasn't that much around because of various writer strikes at the time. So he took it. But he got on really well with Romero. And he said the highlight of it is when he was cutting it is Stephen King came to see him because King had heard that he had done the editing on Carrie and really liked that film. You know, they just chatted. They were there for a day, I think, just chatting. The one thing that united them is both of them really didn't like the film version of The Shining. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, they were there talking on that for ages. Yeah, he said it was just doing that film and meeting with Stephen King. And, he said, and Paul Hirsch is a big King fan, so he, he was really pleased with it. But I guess my overall point is you had four editors, and Romero edited one as well. Did the different styles create any continuity issues with you? Um, Graham, I'll go to you first. No, because they're completely invisible, because they are f- a series of different stories. So you're just dropped into a new world. You're picking up a new story, new characters, totally different. Bang, off you go. So I don't think it jarred as it would in a, a long, continuous film. Not in the slightest. Didn't even notice it, Jeff. It's all tied together with the educational hmm. comics thing, isn't it? The EC comics. Um, I would agree. Plus... I know we haven't talked about the soundtrack yet, but I think that the soundtrack of each segment goes along with the editing in in that they're all just their own story. So even if the editing was slightly different feeling for each story, the the story that they were telling was totally different in the soundtrack, the editing, everything was just so different that I didn't notice it at all. It's interesting you pick up on the soundtrack because uh, John Harrison was the composer. I thought he did a better job with Day of the Dead than this, but he's now, and and in fact, he was a director. I think he did this as a favor for uh, George Romero. But since then, he's he directed the TV version of Dune, and he's since directed three episodes of the new Creepshow's TV series. You know, Harrison's music is functional, and it works.
finally we come to the last story the original they're creeping up on you um jeff your thoughts on this one i understand you this one has grown on you over the years again i thought it was okay you know the whole thing turns on if you have a phobia about bugs they have six legs not eight so it doesn't bother me <laughs> but <laughs> but very specific i haven't given you bastards for that mandalorian episode yet but <laughs> anyway i like eg marshall's performance and of course obviously a lot of it's influenced by howard hughes yeah, but I I see elements of Trump in there. You know, when he says to the the janitor, "It's service industry is great for people like you, people of color," which is something that um, you know is a line you can imagine Trump saying. You're saying that Trump will actually get eaten alive by bugs and they'll pour out of his mouth and chest someday. I'm hoping for it's, that. It's a thought. Yeah. yeah, definitely with this one, as in previous stories that we've already discussed. The director and the writer and everybody involved has to establish the bad things happen to bad people. And that's definitely no exception here. You know, you have to establish the fact that, you know, he's obviously he's a very rich man. He's always used to getting his own way and he's used to treating people however he wants to treat them. And they have to kiss his butt because he's rich and he's the boss and he makes the rules. But you just like within the other stories you then eventually realize that something bad's going to happen to him. And if you don't like bugs, this is definitely not the story for you. Cause I, I really like the fact again, that you're doing kind of the slow build where you see one, then you see another one, then you, I think you know where it's going the whole time, but yet it's still very creepy. I actually like this one a lot. I thought, yeah, and you've nailed it, Andy. It's the, you see the one bug and he's already killed it. And you think, uh, that's not a, that's not gonna be the way this ends. And then when he emptied his breakfast cereal, you know, that really made me go, Oh God, no. And it's, it's one of those nervy <laughs> sort of horrible things. And you think, Oh God, no cockroaches, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll survive a nuclear war and they'll take you out. Yeah. It's a horrible, horrible, creepy, nasty way to go. But yeah, he's, he was a horrible, creepy, nasty person. So why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the bu- and the bugs are disgusting, aren't they? Yeah, there's definitely like small, medium, large, extra large. Yeah. <laughs> the way they were coming out of the compactor as well, um, the the bin thing that he was yep. using. Well, you saw them like on the ceiling and all that. Yeah, yeah, and you look, you see two or three, and then he looks or looks away, and then the the floor is covered in them, and they're coming out of everywhere. Absolutely horrible. And the other was that when he went into his safe room, (laughs) room, that was possibly the worst thing he could have done. Yeah. And that made me laugh. Yeah. Andy, the, uh, the final bit, what did you think? Well, he's locked in his room and then they cut back to it. Well, right. Exactly. You think it's going to be the right thing to do, but then it absolutely turns into the wrong thing to do. The thing, And I guess I noticed it again when I was watching it again recently, but I mentioned the soundtrack before. I really think it's done well, especially well in this one, because you kind of hear in the background of this one, he's got his jukebox going. So he's got like his hits of the 20s, you know, with the big band music playing. But then when the things start to go wrong, the soundtrack almost sounds like like when you listen at the very end, when you hear all the bugs and stuff coming, it kind of sounds like like. The music is almost playing in reverse, it sounds like to me, like the way I, I can't say it or describe it other than if you listen to it again, it really augments the story and that it really makes you feel uneasy. You know, bugs are, you know, make you feel uneasy enough, but I feel like the echoing of the, the, the way the, the backwards music, if you call it that, was going, it was just really cool. 
it's like the best way I could describe that. It's like a demented Wurlitzer. Exactly. So we can't add six-legged creatures to your phobia of no, uh, no, eight-legged. Um, we can't do that yet. There, there is a, a marvelous story which I would urge people to check up on. It is actually too disgusting for me to tell you, but there are some larger bugs that they bought, and the bugs cost them three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, wow. in those days. In those days, yeah, they, they were, and that's why he had Savani make up some uh, as many duplicates as he could for the stamping on because he didn't want to waste the money. But there were those large bugs. If you find the story as to how they got them and how they had to catch them, uh, it is just disgusting. I could not repeat it here. Oh no, hmm. no! I'll have to look it up now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it's worth discovering. But what I like about that story is you can take the story in one of two ways. You've got the woman on the phone saying, "I hope you get it. You know, I hope you you get. I killed. hope you die. I hope you die." <laughs> yeah. And and it's like oh, again, like um, something to tide you over. Uh, you've got something coming back from the dead to get their revenge. Or it could be that the guy's just unlucky. The power cut forces all the bugs towards the light. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, there's two ways of looking at that story, which I also like. And Marshall, who was very, very uncomfortable saying those racist lines that we have to say, and that was just wonderful. Because they really never explain, you know, if it's just fate. I mean, like, there's the the citywide power outage so like did the whole city get overrun with cockroaches or was it just him you know they never really say the police uh policeman that he talks to said oh, yeah yeah there's loads of bugs around uh, right yeah. as if they were with the, the city was overrun it seemed like most of them were in his flat when they right uh, <laughs> yep but I kind of like the ambiguousness of that, you know, because yes. he's kind of in his own world anyways, because he chooses to live that way. Yeah. That's why this story has really grown on me. You know, I think that of them all coming back after it's about a decade since I last seen this and just watching that. And again, with somebody as foul as Trump in charge and just, you know, transferring that onto this character, it's just given it to a new level for me. Yeah, it's a great deal of fun. You know, it's two guys that like horror movies grossing people out with bugs. What more do you want? Right. Yeah. Creepshow was a box office hit, although it had a bizarre release pattern. It sparked two movie sequels and now a TV series. It also probably had an influence on Tales of the Crypt TV series. What was it about Creepshow which has made it so popular? I'll go with you, Andy, first. Well, first of all, I, I've the new show I've wanted to watch, and I think now that I've seen the movie again, I probably will find it and start watching. And I've heard that it's good. In fact, I looked today in preparation, and I saw that both Tom Savini and, and Adrian Barbeau are involved in the new show, or at least okay. have appeared or done stuff with it. So that makes me want to watch it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, the Creep Show Two, which you guys haven't seen, wasn't as good as this one. Creep Show Three was just god awful and shouldn't have the name <laughs> Creep Show on it. But I feel like the uniqueness of the stories and the way that they were told um, were so different and unique and interesting and 
and just really kind of capture the audience in the way few movies do. And especially for an anthology film where you can't really, I mean, over the years, you could probably name three or four maybe horror anthology films that you can even remember. The fact that this one's still around obviously says that people are still finding it interesting. And then the fact that they're now redoing it in a newer version means that the, the whole idea of it is so good that they want to just keep it going. I just feel like it's so unique and entertaining that it, people just keep rediscovering it or, re, you know, discovering it and rediscovering it. Yeah, it's a good choice, isn't it, for this uh, review to sort of uh, get us to watch it as well. Um, Graham? This is, is really, really good. I was very surprised by um, how good it was. And I can see why it was a hit. I mean, it's definitely got, you know, this is a good night out. You know, you go mm. go see this and then go to the pub and discuss it with your mates. It'd be great fun. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I I can see why there's been spin-offs. Um, yeah, because it's a nice nice idea, comic based series of different stories. What yeah. what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, Jeff, I want to pick up on Andy's point about an- anthology films because that's really good. Because the anthology film has to have stories of different levels. Because if we're all at the same level, the whole thing doesn't work. Hmm. So, for example, in Creepshow, you've got two warm-up stories, in effect, before it gets to the real meat, the, the final three. And so you remember it, the, the Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror I mentioned earlier also has the same thing, as a nice balance, some are dramatic, some are comic, and they all fit together. So when you get an anthology that works, it takes you with it and you remember it. And I think, I mean, Andy, you said you were, what, 11 when you first saw this? Yep. And it, and it clearly has stayed with you, and it's one of those things you remember with fondness from your childhood. Well, that's why I said at the beginning that I've I've purchased it physically, you know, four or five times, and I probably <laughs> will again. Yeah, and I was about, I think, about 14 or so when I saw, uh, snuck into my local to see Tales from the Crypt, uh, well, Vault of Horror first, and then did a retrospective on Tales from the Crypt. And those stayed with me because I saw them at the right time that they made a big, big impression on me. And what you've got, what takes it to the next level is you've got two people at the top of their game. George Romero, brilliant director, very underrated, but in the horror genre for most of his career, he was on top and the guy you went to. And of course, you've got Stephen King, who's having fun. Mm. This isn't heavy like any you know any of uh, a, a lot of his stories as good as they are they can be heavy this is fun the combination of that it's almost a perfect recipe it's great and that's i, I think that's popular. the that's the point isn't it it is yeah. fun isn't it yeah in the tv series i see they've done a version of gray matter which is a short story from king's night shift collection and that is a disgusting story oh and they've <laughs> no. also done Survivor, uh, survivor type about a guy on a desert island who has to eat himself to survive. Oh shoot! Thank you for I'm that. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, survivor type is disgusting as a story. <laughs> In fact, King went to his doctor and said, um, "I was just going to say that." that yeah, is, he said, <laughs> that, 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 um, "If I was trapped and I had to, um, <laughs> you know, survive on just eating myself, what bits could I get away with?" And I think the doctor was going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, that, it, it, you, you would have to think quite hard about that, wouldn't you? 
Now, the film got mixed reviews on release. Can you understand bad reviews of it, Jeff? No. You know, there, there are film critics that look down on all horror films, and I think you know a lot of those would have looked down. Romero wasn't a director. He was very much a cult director. The Dead films he'd done in films like Martin and The Crazies. So he wasn't treated seriously, which is, I think, a mistake of those reviewers. Does not deserve mixed reviews. This is a great, fun horror movie. Yeah. Graham? Yeah, I can understand why it did. You got mixed reviews. I can see a lot of people saying, well, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Does it want to be comedy? Does it want to be horror? Does it want to be, you know, disgusting? What's it, what's it really trying to be? And I think they missed the basic point that, no, this is an anthology. This is a collection of stories in a comic. You know, you'll get a, a start one and then you'll get one that's a bit silly and fun. And then you'll get, I can understand it getting mixed reviews, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, looking back at it from the 21st century, I think when I'd watched, I spoke to you, Jeff, and I said, yeah, it's fun and it's corny. It is a great film to go and see with your friends. I guess I would echo what's been said, but the uniqueness of it certainly would throw off some people or just the fact that it is an anthology. Again, kind of what we've already talked about, but just anthology films in and of themselves are just very unique and maybe sometimes hard to swallow for most people because just when you think something's going, then they switch to something else. So it might be not necessarily hard to follow, but not as interesting as, say, a, a traditional film. So I can understand how that would be not up to everyone's palate, but I, the fact that we're still talking about it this many years later means that it did definitely did a bunch of stuff right. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the critics were that scathing on it, really. But uh, yeah, I don't see how they can. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's as uh, as Jeff said, it's um, if they don't like Romero, then that's kind of their problem. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for a fascinating discussion on Creepshow. We'll return shortly with a more realistic horror thriller, Cujo. Who would have thought St. Bernard dogs could be frightening? <laughs> Andy, thank you for joining us, and I hope you can make more of our Stephen King's discussions in the future. Absolutely. I love talking to you guys, as always. Thank you. <laughs> Stay well, and read King for everybody out there. 